Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. Welcome to Citizens. My name is Will. It's great to be with you all tonight. You know, at many times in my life, I've taken part in races, right? Whether it be track or cross country or different local runs and races, I've taken part in this thing known as a race. But, but what makes a race a race? Do we just run for kicks or is there, is there a goal in mind? Is there a finish in line? Do we run for fun or is it for something else? You know, my senior year of high school, uh, for our senior trip, almost about a year ago exactly, um, the senior class, 2022 for Kingsway Christian High School, we went to Disneyland. Some of us have been to Disneyland. It's a lot of fun. And we were there for about three days. And on the second night of our trip, Disneyland put on this thing for the seniors. Let's get this called Senior Night. Crazy idea. But what happens is they lock the seniors. They kick everybody else out. And they lock the seniors in California Adventure from about 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And so being the bright, brilliant, uh, young group of friends, me and two of my good friends, Maddie and Bridget, what we decide is we're going to get to our favorite ride first. And if you've been in California Adventure, you know that the clear favorite ride of any person with a brain is California Screamin', which is now the Incredicoaster. And so we get to the Incredicoaster, but what we forgot is that all across the nation there were kids pouring into California Adventure for this little fun. And so uh, being the secluded, Christian, nice private high school kids that we were, uh, we were in line for a culture shock. And so we were waiting for the rides to open at 10 p.m., waiting at the front of the line. And as the buzzer sounded and the line opened, boy, was it a race. And boy, did we have to endure. Um, I was stepped on, trampled on, pushed. Uh, There was, it it was like a madhouse getting to that ride, I tell you. And uh, Maddie and Bridget barely made it out alive. But stories aside, we can all relate to enduring different things as we work or race towards a goal. Maybe it's in PE and your teacher's making you run the mile and you're in your school clothes and you don't really want to run a mile at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Maybe it's when you're speed running a level of a video game and you're Fingers are starting to get sweaty and you're having to endure as you push through the pain of your hands. And maybe it's your mom continuing to talk for hours in a store when you've got plans for the day and need to get somewhere. And I would suggest to you tonight that a race means working towards a finish line, but there's always things that you need to endure. And um, for a little bit of context for where we're at tonight, we picked back up this week in our study through Hebrews. And some of you have been with us for some or most of this. And what Hebrews has been doing is it's been doing everything possible in its power to highlight Jesus and contend for his superiority in the new covenant 
that we all live under. Last week, we looked at the Hall of Faith, uh, the history of lives of different individuals, of great lives of faith. And we pick back up our study this week with that in mind. Uh, would you read with me tonight? We're going to be in Hebrews 12. If you've got a Bible, you've got Bibles in the seat backs, fire up an app on your phone. We're going to be in Hebrews 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 to start. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Students, when you become weak in this race of faith, remember to fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Uh, the writer begins, once again, by writing an opening in verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And if you remember what we talked about last week, I made brief mention of this. Um, we saw this idea of a hall of faith, right? And here in the, the author in verse 1 is telling believers or those who believe in Jesus to lay aside every weight, worry, doubt, fear, and uncertainty and sin which hinders us from running this race that is set before us, right? Remember the history. Look to these figures in the Bible that we've seen in this hall of faith. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses to this truth. And what he's saying is lay off these things, put them off, lay them aside, not some, but every weight and all sin. Right? How many of us have gotten maybe a splinter in our foot before, maybe when we're on a hike or a walk? Right? We all know the pain of having something in our shoe. We just want to shake it off and get it out and pull our shoes off and just clear them out, right? Because it's annoying. It hinders us makes it hard to walk. And in the same way, things such as worry, doubt, fear, uncertainty, and anxiety hinder our walks as Christians and make it hard for us to stride and continue on. But here's the other thing, and it's sin. Sin, or, or putting your hand up at God and saying, you know what, God, I think I've got this. I think I know best. That's not only a hindrance, but it's an all-consuming and deathly thing to allow in your life. And that's why our writer says, lay it aside. Get it away. Sin doesn't just bother you as you try to continue on. It's not just a pointy thing in your shoe or a prickly that's annoying that you want to shake out. It's a poison and a deadly thing that will ultimately kill you. And we see this idea in James chapter 1 as well as all throughout Scripture. And so we've been told to continue to run and endure as we progress on. But look at verse 2. What does it say? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him 
endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Students, I want you to listen closely if you can hear my words tonight. Fix your eyes on Jesus as you run this race, and don't take them off. Not only was Christ enduring the cross as he was crucified, being mocked and despised and taunted and spit on, but he's now at the right hand of the Father to intercede and make way for us to God when we do inevitably mess up in our sinful nature. We're not perfect. How gracious and loving is our Lord, right? That he would do this for us, that he would take on flesh and bear the weight of our sin. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Remain encouraged in this fact. This loving God whom I speak of came down to earth and took form of humanity, succeeding in living a perfect life. So as we struggle in this world, and I tell you the truth, against sin, you will struggle until you die while you're here on earth. Look to Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. He endured. He shed his blood. He accomplished what we never could. So look to Jesus who will strengthen you as you endure, as you progress, as you keep going. Hebrews 2.10 says this, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Who sanctifies us? Who grows us? It's Jesus. Who redeems us and did so on the cross? To those who believe in this message, it's Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Believe in what he did and what he does for us now. And as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we're going to be reminded to endure as we will be disciplined by the Lord. You know, when we talk about this idea of a race that we can all relate to, Jesus himself was disciplined as by the Lord as well. And while he was running this race, but he endured to the end, right? And, and so what did he endure? Well, he, Jesus himself endured the discipline of the Father. And so as we see the history of Jesus' life, uh, we see that God's discipline has a purpose. God's discipline has a purpose. Let's continue on in our text. We're going to read verses 4 through 11 now. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son... Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are all left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. 
shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. The writer addresses his likely Jewish audience to yet again remind them of what he calls an exhortation that addresses us as sons. Um, this, this could be better stated as an encouragement which lets you know that you're children. He's encouraging you. And what is he reminding these people? Verse 5, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. You see, God refines us. God grows us. God sanctifies us. And what is that word? Well, that means to be set apart. He sets us apart out of His love. We're being made into His image one degree at a time, but that isn't done through an easy life that faces no trials or suffering, right? It's not done through a life that never challenges or stresses us. There's a sect of Christianity that will say, well, it's always God's will for you to just have it good, to be good, to be healthy. And this is something you're going to hear as you go on in your faith, that it's always God's will to heal, that it's always God's will for you to prosper and be good in every moment. And I would just point us back to verse 8. What does it say? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Right? We're disciplined by the Father. Look at verse 11. For the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. You get this picture of training, of refining, of being stretched. So is discipline prosperity? Will we ever have to endure as Christians? We live in a culture where we're very comfortable as Christians but the promise of the text is that in one regard or another, God is going to discipline you and you must endure. Does anybody know someone who's, who's really good at something which they've never thought about or practiced? And I know there's going to be some offset answers and people like, oh yeah, uh, my friend is really good at drinking like the nasty concoctions at camp that people throw together. And frankly, if you are one of those people, we pray for you. Um, we got camp coming up. Please don't be one of those people who chucks together some disgusting thing. Um, there's going to be offset answers in this, right? But practically, are there people who get better at things with no practice or failure? Right? How many phenomenal rock climbers do we know who've never stepped foot or taken grab of a rock, right? Any good couch potatoes who are really good world-renowned sprinters? Super good readers who've never read a book before? Of course not. That, that'd be crazy, right? And in the same way, we're disciplined by the Father, which might I add, real quick, is a result of our sin. So if you want to go, well, that's not fair that we're disciplined. Is it fair that you're still walking, that you're still living, 
despite turning away from the Father? Right? I don't think this is unfair. I think this is actually a picture of God's grace to us that he would do this. God disciplines us because he loves us. Look at verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Right? God is treating you as sons and daughters in the kingdom. Let's continue on. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? This is key right here, verse 10. This is key. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we might share His holiness. Check that out. Why does He discipline us? Verse 10. It says this, For they... This is a human concept that even our earthly fathers understand, right? Discipline has purpose. For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. You know, students, through trials, through suffering and hardships, what I would just say to you tonight is continue to persevere. Continue to persevere, right? We aren't just stardust living in a purposeless, meaningless, bankrupt universe with no end goal or finish line in sight. And in our sufferings and trials, we can be sure of the fact that God disciplines those whom he loves. When a loved one is dying, and we just, we don't quite understand why, right? Maybe when our parents are going through a tough time, going through a divorce, and we're going, God, how could you allow this? How could you allow my family to break up, right? When we get bullied and made fun of, and this doesn't always look like the, the big six-foot-nine kid who's going around stuffing people's heads in toilets, but when those real scars come and people are making fun of you under your appearance and on the things you do and the things you say, when you're bullied, maybe even made fun of for your Christian faith, when you're persecuted, Persevere, okay? Continue to strive and run this race. God's Word says that it's for discipline that we endure. In our trials, God is working about His perfect plan of redemption and restoration for humanity. So when you're discouraged in these things, what I would encourage you in your discouragement, some wordplay there, to do is don't lean on the wisdom of the world. Okay? Because the wisdom of the world wants to say, well, God is not a loving God to allow evil and persecution. And don't trust sin, which wants to say, God isn't righteous in this. How could a perfect God allow evil? Remember the truth from God's word and what we're seeing tonight. Remember the rich depth, this cloud of witnesses of real, tangible history of God's people and the promises that he's fulfilled to those in faith. But most of all, above all else, when we remember, as we're disciplined and we continue to endure, remember Christ who walked this path which we could not. Because of, in this life, we can never do enough. But Christ endured. Consider Him. 
who endured. Proverbs 3, which is quoted in our passage here, also says this. Proverbs 3.3. 3, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find good favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. And in this we must continue to endure with our eyes fixed to Christ and the gospel, being attentive to sin which tries to creep in. You get this idea through the Scripture where I say sin tries to creep in. And I get this idea of... Um, how many of us have seen a scary movie in here? Raise them high. Okay, stop watching those, please, on a side note. But sin comes in and tries to trick you. And I think when I was thinking through this passage, I think in the same way... When we're watching these scary movies and these characters are making just the worst decisions, like what are you doing going in that house when there's a, a psychopath and a murderer on the loose, right? We want to jump out of the TV and tell them. We want to say, guys, what are you doing? Don't go in that house. It seems obvious. This is what the scripture is telling us about sin. And what is it warning? It says, beware of sin. Beware of sin. Verse 12. Let's go ahead and read there now. Verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears." And what the author is saying is that we must continue to strive and walk in strength towards the end goal, being what I said, holiness, right? And ultimately glorification one day when we're raised with Christ. But he says this in verse 13. I want to highlight this. He says, And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And if we remember from Scripture, we're going to just think back a little bit. There's a character named Jacob, and this, this language hit me this week as I was studying this passage. What it says is that it may not be put out of joint, but be healed. And so Jacob, if we remember in Genesis 32, he wrestles with God. And he physically wrestles with God, but he also spiritually wrestles with God and has his hip touched out of place. Why? Well, Jacob loved to do things his own way. And in the same way, we like to do that in our sin, right? We love to do that. Heed this warning from Scripture. Please, I say this in love. Please heed this warning from Scripture as you live. Trust God in what He commands through His Word. And God inspires the writer to let us know that we should make straight paths for our feet. 
Don't trust sin. It's a lie. And my pastor Ben would always continue to hammer the reality of sin to me this way. He would say, sin wants to lure you in. It wants to draw you in. wants to entice you, to pull you in, to trick you, to lie to you. And then it wants to point the finger right back at you and condemn you when you do give in. Don't trust sin. And you might say, well, God in his word says to save sex for marriage. But you go, oh, God, that's, that's really good. But, you know, I really love my girlfriend or I really love my boyfriend. And so I'm going to go with my wisdom on this. Uh, or you say, well, God, in your word it says honor your father and mother. <laughs> but you haven't been around my family Right? You don't know how annoying my parents are. And you go, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do things my own way. Right? Or you say to yourself, God wants me to abstain from violating my body with, with alcohol and drugs and nicotine. And, and you go, that's good and all, but I mean, man, I just can't kick this thing. And I, I, it's fun. I like to do it. Right? And on a side note, I just want to say that the Lord sees all. He knows what you're doing. Nothing's hidden from him. And so heed this warning from our scripture to make straight paths for your feet. And don't trust the lie of sin that leads to death and will never fulfill you. At verse 14. Let's look there now. Verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. And we see that in verse 14, uh, the second half, it says, For the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I had to read that about four times in all honesty, going, what the heck does that mean? And uh, the NIV translation puts it this way, without holiness... No one will see the Lord. Don't be deceived by sin. And what the New Testament makes clear in God's word time and time again is that the mark of a true believer in Christ is the longing to obey the commands in Scripture and progressive growth in character and behavior. And this is a warning against the sinful heart that devalues the grace of God and turns away in its pride. You know, I had a friend one time in a hot tub say to me, we've got a local community hot tub in my neighborhood. I love that thing. It's very dear to me. But I was sitting in there with my friend one time. This was way back. And, and we're sitting there talking about sports and all sorts of stuff. And he says to me, man, Will, it must really be nice to be a Christian. Like, you can just do whatever you want, right? You can just have fun. And I didn't understand accurately how to respond to him at this point in time, but that always stuck with me. And why is that? It's because it's not true. Works accompany faith. We aren't saved based on a prayer we say one time or a confession of faith. You know, Jesus says to me, uh, excuse me, Jesus says in his word that many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many things in your name? And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And this isn't something that brings me joy or 
I don't get get happy in in reading that, but that's the truth. We have to strive. We have to endure to work towards holiness, relying on Christ, fixing our eyes upon Christ. Verse 16 says this, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. One, one commentator says this, Esau, character in our passage, was not only immoral, but was godless. He had no ethics or faith, no scrolls or reverence. He had no regard for the good, the truthful, the divine. He was totally worldly, totally secular, meaning a part of the culture and the world, totally profane. Christians are to be vigilant or keep watch that no person such as Esau contaminate Christ's body. He found no place for repentance. He bitterly regretted, but he did not repent. There's a difference there. He selfishly wanted God's blessings, but he did not want God. He was fully apostatized, meaning turned away, and was forever outside of God's grace. He went on sinning willfully after receiving a knowledge of the truth, and there no longer remained any sacrifice to cover his sins. And so in all this, we can become discouraged and start to feel disheartened. And we're asking, how can I ever do good enough, right? Why can't I just be perfect already? Why is this so hard? Why do I have to endure? And again, what I would say is fix your eyes on Christ and what he says in his word, that he disciplines you for your holiness because he loves you. Don't play with sin and the spirit of the age and the world and the things that are going to be passing away. In our imperfection, Christ has succeeded. He took on the wrath of God that we as sinners deserved and also endured from sinners the criminal's death on a cross, though he was fully innocent and sinless. He bore our sins on the tree of that cross. And he didn't stay dead, but he rose three days later. And salvation is calling to those who would hear this message of good news. Be joyful and see the beauty as hard as it is when God disciplines you, trusting the scripture and the fact that he disciplines you because he loves you for your better. And I would be wrong to tell you again what our passage makes clear. Holiness in the lives of believers must be sought out. It must be sought out. And the holiness that believers continue to strive for, continue to run this race towards, is done through what? The discipline of the Lord. Enduring the discipline of the Lord isn't always easy or fun, but God's discipline produces holiness in the end. God's discipline produces holiness in the end. So when it gets hard, endure. Keep going, right? Keep these things close to your heart as you continue to live out and walk out your faith. Christ is enough. Fix your eyes on him. 
and he will continue to make you into his image. God's discipline produces holiness in the end. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Lord, we thank you for the truth of your scripture. God, that you discipline us because you love us. And you do it for your glory, Lord. And so I pray as these students hear this, God, and, they, and they're hearing that the Lord disciplines those he loves. They come to terms with the fact of that, God. Not just, not just hearing that, but would they start to understand that, God. And when they're going through struggles and going through trials and facing sin and battling sin, would they stand in the truth of your word, God, that in all of this there's a purpose and ongoing holiness and one day glorification when we are face to face with Christ again. So Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and it's in your name we pray, amen.